Welcome back to another episode of Super Serious Dog Podcast. Um, it's me, Misha, and Courtney. That's How me. are y'all doing? Are y'all doing okay? I'm doing okay. I had to pause for their answer. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> um, so Courtney and I um, did a fun thing recently that was we like... We had an adventure. Yes. We had a, we had a grand adventure where we drove four hours to um, just outside of Dallas to go to the Canine Human Relationship Institute um, and attend a puppy development seminar taught by none other than Nelson Hodges. Um, So we wanted to share with you some little nuggets and tidbits that we learned and some things that um, we thought you guys might appreciate as well, especially because a lot of y'all have puppies. Obviously, we're just going to be barely scratching the surface, (laughs) so don't expect to get everything that that course provides, honestly. Like, I would highly recommend taking it um, if you just plan to have dogs for the foreseeable future, because it's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of information all at once, and um, this was his first round of teaching it. He just wanted to get the information out there because so many people are getting puppies this year. Um, but he does plan to spread it out um, and go more in-depth on things and make it a multiple-day course. He did this one as a one-day just to get some stuff started. So um, expect to see that yeah. on the and you events don't, in the future. And you don't have to be like a trainer to go to a lot of dog training seminars. I, I want to put that out there. I think a lot of people, like if I was just a regular dog owner, I would be like, I don't what what do you mean go to a seminar? I don't know who this person is. Like, why would I do that? But at the same time, like makes a lot of sense. How is that any different than hiring a trainer or, you know, yeah, go get the information yourself. Yeah, exactly. Go to to where the trainers go to get it, which is workshops Mm -hmm. and, and anybody is welcome to those. Um, you know, there's always like audit spots and stuff like that. And, uh, if you have a good trainer, ask them what workshops they're going to and tell them you want to go because I mean, most of the workshops I go to, there are, you know, they they always introduce themselves as just owners, but like those owners are amazing. Mm-hmm. They're more yeah. than just owners. They are owners who are getting the answers for themselves. Yes. Um, and that's, that's awesome to do um, for yourself and for your dog. And you guys are more than just owners, honestly, like your handler, your, your parents, you're, you're a lot of things. You're wearing a lot of hats because nobody is just one thing. So don't talk down to yourself like that. You deserve better. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did want to throw this out there before we get into the um, stuff because I feel like I'm I'm going to want to talk a lot more about the puppy stuff and then not have room for this. I did want to remind you guys that um, we have two free Patreon episodes that we released so that way you guys could get kind of like a little taste of it um, and just see, see if you want to hop on board and support us. Um, so the two free episodes, you just go to patreon.com. Um, you don't have to even make an account. You just go to our page, Super Serious Dog Podcast. And um, if you just scroll down, the two free episodes are The Problem Is We Are Primates. Which is an interview with Chad Mackin. Um, You may have caught our free interview with him, but in the Patreon one, we talk for 
probably over an hour, I think. Um, yeah. And we go in depth on a Easy. lot of things. So I, I really enjoy that episode. Yes. Yes. Go freaking check it out. Um, he is also one of those people that like trainers learn from. Trainers go to him to learn about training. So check him out. Chad Mackin. He's, he's got tons of online content. It's awesome. Um, the other episode is called Clowns Produce 100 Units of Stress. So you can you can muse about what that episode might mm-hmm. be about. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. It's great. Uh, also, I want to put a little disclaimer out there. If you hear the sound of oh, yeah. a dying, I don't know, cat in the background, it's not a dying <laughs> cat. Uh, it's a frustrated husky. I just picked up a husky today, and he does not like the fact that I left him in a kennel to come to a podcast. And he How is dare letting... You? Probably my whole fucking neighborhood know about it right now. Um, <laughs> I can hear him through my headphones, so I don't know if the mic's going to pick it up. But if he does, like, if it does, like, don't worry. Everything's okay. He's fine. My husband's actually in the room. He's just yeah. mad I left. Anyway, moving yeah. forward, back to puppies. Let's talk about puppies. Puppies, puppies. Uh, okay, so just an overview of what this class was. This wasn't like a puppy class where it's a free-for-all, where there's just puppies running around, like pooping and playing and you know, jumping on each other and whatever, whatever it is that puppies do, right? This was a lot of like discussion about the actual physiological development of a puppy. So that's mind and body and everything. And one of the coolest things was that um, you really start to understand at a deeper level of why puppies develop the way they develop and why they do certain things first. Like why do puppies always mouth a shitload? And it has to do with their physiological development. Literally the very first thing that they do when they come out of their mother is they are like little heat seeking missiles. And it's literally all they can do. They can't smell, they can't hear, they can't see, right? Everybody knows like, oh, puppy's eyes open at you know, a certain age, right? That kind of thing. But also their ears open at a certain age. Um, so, then, yeah. so when you start kind of... <clears throat> Thinking about that, it kind of starts to make a lot more sense of like, okay, even more so that's why they use their mouths. I, I've always explained like, well, yeah, dogs don't have hands, so they can't pick stuff up. But even toddlers that have hands that are human put stuff in their mouth, right? It's part Excuse of the development. <laughs> right. So, um yeah, it was it was just really fun kind of going literally week by week of what happens uh, mentally, physically, all that kind of fun stuff. And then also the, the role that mom and siblings play, of course. Um, so with that being said, um, I think one of the first things that I really want to talk about is um, what age should you get a puppy, right? Because there's a lot of debate about this. Um, if you ever, just just general rule of thumb, if there's ever anybody selling or giving away a puppy that is less than six weeks old, don't run. take it. Do not take that puppy. Don't. You're not saving it. You're not helping. Don't do it. Right. Um, don't do it. Why? I, why is that, Courtney? Why? Why do we have such a strong opinion on this? Let's let's unpack that because. Oh, because you are you are taking something that is going to be a problem for the rest of its life. Um, that puppy is not ready to live with you alone. Um, it needs its siblings and it needs its mother still to teach it a lot how, of things. How to interact 
how to be a social creature. Um, at the end of the day, you are still a human. You are not another puppy and you are not a mama dog. Um, and so you are going to fall short of what they can teach it in that really crucial time. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly don't care how bad the situation is. You're not saving it. <clears throat> yes. Now that being said, I know a lot of people who have done like a lot of baby bottle stuff for kittens and puppies and that kind of thing. And like, yes, you can potentially have a healthy, decently adjusted dog <laughs> that left its litter too soon, whether there was a horrible accident or, you know, maybe the other, everybody got sick and died except for this one puppy, stuff like that does happen. But the problem is, again, usually what you need to do is that get is it around the exception, some... exception, not the rule. Right. That is the exception. And that dog needs to get around other dogs as soon as freaking possible. Um, stable dogs, nonetheless. Yes. And stable, balanced, uh, good with puffy dogs or dogs of the same and age. matronly dogs. That is, that is such a very specific skill set that not every dog has. Even mother dogs don't have it. I have known many dogs who kill their own puppies because they're just idiots. It's not even like like the, the litter was sick or anything like that. I would just like literally watch mothers just step all over and sit on their puppies. Like, and, and those dogs also had zero spatial awareness, just saying. And like, honestly, just like humans, there's a certain maturity level that dogs have to grow into. And some dogs are never going to be good mothers. Some dogs may start out as shitty mothers and become good mothers. It's just like people. It always freaking depends. And honestly, if that, litter, let's say the mother was killing the puppies and it wasn't just because of negligence. There's a reason for that. Um, a lot of times there's diseases and all kinds of things that like mothers have sort of evolved to uh, get a keen sense to. Because survival um, is the ultimate goal. Yes. And, and unfortunately, a handicap or deficit or sick dog is not valuable for, like, it's not going to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like... Nelson explained, like in wolves, um, if a wolf has a litter and she's too young and that litter mm -hmm. doesn't make it because she forgets to come back fast enough with the food or whatever. Which is like 10 minutes, by the way. If yeah. a mother has gone for more than like 10 minutes, they could those die. puppies could die. Yeah, Because of, because of the lack of heat. Um, and so like if she loses a litter, like that's, I'm sure, in some way devastating. But also that next year she probably doesn't leave for more than 10 minutes. Like she learns and she gets better. So, or, I mean, or she's not a, she's an unfit mother and she never produces again, or she keeps accidentally killing her puppies again. Right. Right. That's There's nature. That too. That's right. That's nature. And, um, you know, if this sounds cruel, I'm not trying to sound cruel. I'm mm -hmm. just explaining nature. Nature is. Yeah. Nature. Um, yep. it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Yep. Um, so one of the reasons why a lot of, um, <clears throat> breeders and, um, places that have puppies, shelters, whatever, that kind of thing, want to adopt dogs out at like six and seven and eight weeks is honestly kind of a bummer. Um, basically between like eight to like, let's say 12 weeks, um, that's when essentially, um, I really like the way Nelson says this and I'm trying to make sure I don't, I don't fuck it up, but essentially there's what is known as a fear period that happens. But what Nelson calls it is a fear impact stage because 
if the puppy has been well adjusted and has had a good mother, good siblings, good breeder, good everything in its life, it shouldn't really have, quote, fear periods. It should be slowly, deliberately exposed in a, in a way that is not traumatic, right? Think about if an infant is in a car accident. Yes, the infant doesn't know what's happening, but that is going to create lifelong little things, anxieties, especially around vehicles probably, or um, maybe they will be adrenaline junkies. Maybe it won't necessarily be a handicap. It'll just be a, they they go for that thrill, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially a lot of breeders suggest that, well, the the puppy should be in its adoptive final home for that first period because of the fact that um, it could have, you know, that could be a good bonding experience. But But if let's say that puppy didn't have, is missing a few components still, and let's say it is fearful of some sort of stimuli, it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, Let's pick a sound, right? Like the dishwasher, right? right? Dishwasher probably has been going off the entire time of that puppy's existence. It's just now starting to notice it and become self-aware and have like a little existential crisis and becoming self-aware, right? Um, but the problem is that a lot of people are first time puppy owners. And even if they're like, they've had puppies in the past, they haven't had them in a long, long time. And so what you're creating is essentially this little tiny rift of either conflict or not knowing how to guide the puppy through this situation properly and to where you're creating a lifelong impact, right? So if you're not an experienced dog owner, you should absolutely get help before you even get the freaking puppy. Because a lot of times if you call, Hey, my puppy is suddenly afraid of the dishwasher. Like that trainer might not be able to see you for at least a couple of weeks. And some trainers right. are booked out months right now. So, right. and there's going to be other things that can impact the dog in that time. Yes, exactly. So you really want to make sure that you understand a lot of things on a very fundamental and intrinsic basis when it comes to guiding a puppy through that situation. Now, more often than not, it's, it it is a simple solution. It can be as simple as like, don't react, um, but kind of be there for the dog. Right. So (laughs) this kind of leads into our next big point that we actually talked a lot about during the seminar. And that is the role of coddling versus um, connecting with the dog. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, when that dog is born, like we talked about, like those first couple of days before it can smell or anything, it's heat seeking, right? It's heat seeking for safety and survival. Uh-huh. So when that puppy is taken away from its litter and its mother at whatever age, and it goes home with you, that dog fundamentally is still heat seeking for safety and survival. Um, you become that heat source. You become that safety and survival source um, and you try to prevent as much conflict between the two of you uh, through those fear in you know the fear impact stage or however eloquently Nelson put it um, and you show the puppy that like hey we're gonna get through this together I know that statue is big and it looks really scary but like check it out I'm not afraid and you don't need to be afraid and I'm here for you and we're gonna we're gonna calmly get through it together. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> in a puppy, that does not mean you put a prong collar on the dog and you walk past the statue fifty times. You're just gonna show that puppy that like one, ow, that this is hurts. This is hard. This is really fucking scary. All of a sudden, um, and my owner clearly doesn't understand 
there's a big fucking statue right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, obviously the dog doesn't know it's a statue, but it's a monster as far as the dog is right. concerned. And eventually right. it, the dog, the puppy, like an adult dog would, goes into avoidance and is like, whatever, fine, I won't look at the fucking statue. But fundamentally that dog is still scared and now just a little bit, it doesn't trust you. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of trainers would be like, you know, you don't want to coddle the fear. You don't want to pet a dog when it's scared. Um, I know that's a common thing people tell people and and i've told people that i still tell people that because you don't want to pet a dog when it's scared you don't want to yes. console a dog yep. you are not Especially, going to console let's, it let's do a little let's do a little experiment okay so for our listeners i want you guys to close your eyes for a second not if you're driving and listening don't you dare close your eyes yeah. whoa, if you're whoa, driving whoa. you're driving or doing, <laughs> or don't close anything. your eyes Right. But essentially just kind of really listen to my voice. Right. And see if you can tell the difference between A and B. All right. So ready? Okay. So a. 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 That's all right. You're fine. Versus it's okay. It's okay. You're fine. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Ooh, B makes me feel a little anxious. Not going to exactly. lie. Exactly. And guess how you tend to pet a dog anxiously, quickly, rapidly, nervously, even if you're confident, your action, your movement does not elicit confidence by any means. And like, everybody's a little bit different, right? Like I personally don't like it when people hug me and like, kind of like scratch their fingers on my back rapidly. It just kind of gives me icky feelings. And I think it's a lot like that, like quick, rapid, like it's just, it's an anxiety. Touch touch has meaning, meaning. Yes. Right. There's, there's a way to touch that brings comfort and there's a way to touch that induces anxiety and you need to know which one your touch does. Right. And now when somebody pats me or like gently rubs, right. Not that like fast swooshy stuff. I'm totally fine with that. Totally fine with that. No problem whatsoever. But my preference is don't rub me. That's weird. (laughs) Like just, just hug me briefly. Tell me it's okay. Maybe hold me a little bit and then let go and let's just sit and breathe and be calm together. So that is something I, I don't think it's wrong to necessarily touch your dog when they're experiencing a little bit of fear, but yeah. I definitely think it needs to be conscientious, so, deliberate, and way simplified. Yeah, to get really specific in case, in case people aren't picturing it here, like two to three pats on the side, a massage down the spine, just a quick mm-hmm. massage, just boop, um, boop, 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 boop. a pat on the chest, two or three pats on the chest, you know, not holding the dog and hugging it or picking it up off the ground, uh, not frantic, repetitive petting, uh, and no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, because it's not fucking okay. Like, that dog is afraid of something. So on some level, like, uh, validate its fear, not by also being afraid, but by going, okay, this statue is a big deal for you in your world, in your perception of things. So, like, take a second, look, you know, maybe get on the dog's level, depending on the dog. Not saying that works for every dog. Look at the statue yourself. So the dog sees you looking at it. So like mm-hmm. the dog's like, okay, you see it. And then like, maybe like turn away from it. Like, psh, it's all right. And then give your dog a little pat and see if that does something different for your puppy. Mm-hmm. I bet it's going to show your puppy that one, that's not a threat. Two, you totally validate it and saw it. And, and then you believe it's not a threat. So like, yeah. oh, you're pretty trustworthy. Um, and then you have that connection and they go, Oh, there's that warmth and that safety that I, that I know and am so familiar with. Mm -hmm. 
And you can reward when they do finally check in with movement. It doesn't always have yeah, to be about movement treats. is definitely a reward. So in that, like the next step after that, if you want to walk through step by step, like, so you, you have the connection where you pat or you massage <clears throat> a little bit. And, and if you're paying, if you're paying attention, the dog's brain will change. Uh-huh. So you may get a little butt wiggle, you may get some eye contact and you may just see that them like just kind of relax like a little turn bit. Turn back a little bit and be yeah. like, wait, wait, you're, wait, what? You're in, you're with, you're with me in this. And then you just get up and move, get up and go. And then if, if it happens again in three seconds, just repeat the process. Mm -hmm. If it happens again in three hours, just just repeat repeat the process, process. (laughs) just help them through the moment. Um, If you find that you're doing it every three seconds, then maybe reevaluate the way you're doing it. Are, Mm -hmm. how are you feeling? Are you actually feeling calm? Are you here feeling supportive of your dog and their journey through life? You know what right. I mean? Like get there in your head. Um, is this making sense? Yeah. Don't rush, okay. basically. Yeah. Which is really rush. hard to do. Um, you have the dog's the whole life, and and the dog is not trying to defy you by pulling on the leash. They're not at, at ever, honestly, trying to defy you. Um, they're they're test they're trying they're testing their limits. They're experimenting with life. You don't know where the edge is until you push it. Mm-hmm. I mean, same with toddlers. That's how we um, develop. One thing that I, I hear people say all the time at different ages of the dog, it doesn't really matter what age the dog is, but this is especially true of puppies. And that is he, she knows better, but, and I'm like, I don't care. I don't care who no. you are or how if, old your dog if is. If the dog if, knew better, it wouldn't be doing it. Ding, ding, End of ding, story. End ding, of ding, story. Ding. There is no, they know better. They know uh, they what? shouldn't be. Yes, exactly. Um, there's th- That is preposterous on so many levels. But if you think about it, this was a four-month-old puppy that we were talking about. Actually, she might have been younger that, that one of my clients was talking about. And I was like, hey, let's unpack that phrase a little bit because it is such a negative mindset to have and it's not fair and it is not founded in truth at all. So if you've caught yourself saying that or if you're – just pay attention to yourself and see if you, if you say that. Also um, – don't because at all get the idea that Misha and I have never said that. Oh, yeah. I totally have said that. Oh, I've so totally nice. said it. Even knowing better, I've said it. Uh, right. Because as a human, sometimes it makes me feel better to say human things. <laughs> but I don't actually believe them in my core. Um, right. right. So maybe give yourself a little bit of grace there if you're like, shit, right. I say that all the time. Yeah. But it cool. is a very negative a mindset. It's a it very a negative, negative mindset. mindset. So let's just, try to change it. Just throw that shit out there because it's not fair. It's not fair to the dog at all. Or you. Um, or yes, or you. Um, one of the things that um, I've heard Nelson say multiple times, and um, I love it. I love it when he says this. Composure under fire is leadership. So Fuck. when the shit yeah. is hitting the fan and life is exploding and that statue is taunting your dog and scaring the shit out of it or that man in the hat or whatever it is, your composure, your calmness, your not frantic movements, your your clarity is what's going to get your dog through it. Um, yeah. And that ultimately is one of the most powerful relationship building pieces of advice I can ever give you. Um, and it is a skill that you have to practice. Some people are a little like have a natural affinity. The type of people who are like ER doctors and that kind of stuff, fuck any kind of doctor, right? But certainly if you're like an ER, high stress, high pace environment type of thing, you're probably one of those people 
that can hold your shit together under pressure, but that doesn't mean that um, everybody else can't get there too. And it just takes practice. It takes practice. Literally takes practice. It takes being under fire and going, oh shit, can I find composure? It doesn't mean you start off having it. It just means you realize you don't have it in the moment and go, can I find it? Can I get a little closer to it? Like, what would Courtney say to do right now? Like, take a deep breath. Like, Number one is fucking breathe. Fucking breathe. (laughs) Yes. Uh, All the time. Step one, take a deep breath. Um, Because whatever is happening, you have a second to breathe. Yeah. I know it doesn't feel like it. I trust me. I know it doesn't feel like it. But if you take a breath, you are going to think so much more clearly and you're going to be able to get to step two. Right. If you, yeah. Right. Exactly. Also, if you hold your breath, you're going to pass out and you're not good to anyone. (laughs) We have bigger fucking problems. So don't hold your breath. It doesn't help. <laughs> no, don't, um, so don't do I I want to talk about one another thing that Nelson says all the time um, yeah. when we talk about relationship because yeah. I know like relationship based dog training is like a super it's a thing it's a, a thing. thing it's like a term that's like used all the fucking time now um, so at the Canine Human Relationship Institute um, the relationship that we're talking about is the relationship from the dog to you. Yes. How does the dog relate to you? Not how do you relate to the dog? Mm-hmm. How does the how does the dog view you? What Who do you, you mean to the dog? What do you provide for? What that do you bring dog? into the table? Yes. Why should the dog follow you? Dude, I wrote that down in like three different places on my notes. By the way, and, and, and it's not meant in like a challenging way. Oh, yeah, those are good notes. Look at this shit. Oh my gosh! There's All that tiny writing to learn. Also, look at my beautiful nails. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but yes, I wrote this down in so many places. Um, yeah, because it's very important. It's even as a trainer, I have to remind myself of that because it is. It doesn't really fucking matter what I think. It matters what the dog thinks about and, this, about that situation. What is the dog's about, perspective here? Yes. Because if the dog is perceiving that statue as a monster and doesn't want to pass it or wants to give it a 20-foot berth, guess what? It's going to rip your arm off trying to do that until you can prove to the dog that you're safe enough to walk past that statue with. Yep. That's You know what I just realized? What? I never finished my thought earlier. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's okay. ADD we'll wrap up fun. this one. We'll wrap up this one. Well, we, you know, tangents and stuff. And there's a lot to, to talk about. I mean, there you saw is, my notes. So. There is. Um, but yes, what Courtney said, leadership, relationship. It's how the dog thinks. Same thing with reward too, man. Like it, it's all about what the dog finds rewarding. And so if that, in that moment, food is not rewarding, then that's fine. It's not the end of the world. But um, so go back and going back to my thought uh, earlier, way earlier. And that is like, I kind of touched on like when to adopt the age, what age to adopt a puppy. Oh yeah. We blew right past that. Didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically most will adopt out six to eight weeks. I would err honestly from eight to like 12 weeks. And honestly, my next puppy, I'm probably going to look for a breeder that doesn't adopt out until they're like, 10, 11, 12 weeks um, minimum because there is so much crucial stuff that happens like from seven to 11 weeks. It is all about potty training and all that kind of stuff, but also socialization, um, especially about like weeks eight and nine, because again, that's when they start getting kind of having these little existential crises and realizing like, 
They can start planning. They can start thinking a little bit ahead. Um, not and not like crazy. It's not. It's not like mm, I'm going to plan a wedding. No, it's not <laughs> like that. Um, but like kind of thinking a little. Like that's why potty training starts about that time because they can start to go. I have the sensation. I need to go find somewhere to eliminate. Right. Um, but like, honestly, I, I just think that the value of because what just the to mother- clarify on the elimination thing, because yeah. everybody struggles with potty training at some point, right. um, up until that point where the dog starts to realize the sensation mm, yes. causes something to happen, the mother cleans it up yep. like and encourages them to do it and we'll just clean it right up. Um, and they, they yep. just go like, it's, it's right. not a thought that they have. It's just right. It's a, it, it just happens. it just happens, just like a kid wearing a diaper. Right, they right. just shit themselves in the store. Right. So when you, know? you bring your seven week or eight week old puppy home and you're like, you potty trained himself in a week. I'm like, good. He's only had awareness of his bladder for like two. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yep. Or if you're frustrated with your ten week old puppy, it's like, dude. He's only had awareness of this for like a couple of weeks. Like, give him a second. Like, tops. Tops. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. But yeah, and I and I think the promotion of kind of pack drive and like understanding that like this is where I'm safe and this is how to act, but also like usually at that point, hopefully a good breeder will also have other dogs that aren't just the immediate family members, right? So not just the litter mates, but maybe another mother as well. And kind of having exposure to a different family. I mean, they're going to have different genetic traits, so different responses, but also all that time is where they really start experimenting with play styles and hunting styles. Um, so I didn't know that, by the way, Courtney. I had no idea that like jumping on like a dog who likes to jump on other dogs and like mount them, so to speak, was like a trait that which totally freaking makes sense because like ankle biting versus like biting in the stomach versus, um, you know, chasing all those little skills are valuable skill sets that are individual and developed by the puppy during this time by what works, what gets attention, what keeps the game going. But also those are vital skills for taking down a kill, for instance, because. Right. And play one, is. Practicing for hunting yes, and suspension of rules and whatever. Right, but, right. But it's practicing but, for hunting and, and right. through that development, you figure out, okay, I'm really good at getting the neck and you're really good at getting the ankles. So like when we go attack this other puppy, like I'll get the neck, team. you get the ankles. All right. Uh, which is why litter mate syndrome happens. <laughs> yeah. That's another episode. Go check <laughs> that one out. Uh, Sorry, you were going somewhere with that. Um, no, that that's pretty much, that's the gist of it. That's exactly what I was going to say is that they, they learned how to start working together. But I, I also didn't realize that that was partially like genetic, partially learned too of like, because if a puppy doesn't have any success doing something, they're going to stop doing it real fast. Because their yeah. attention span is boop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other coolest thing, and, and Katerina mentioned this because Nelson asked everybody in the class, like, what did you take away from the seminar? Like, you know, what, what have you learned and all that kind of stuff. And, and one of the things she said is like, when she sees a, a dog that, you know, has these big gaping holes in their relationship with other dogs, how they perceive other dogs or people or threats or whatever it is, right? She, we can kind of see a lot better now of like what step in their socialization process probably was missing. And then you can focus on it. And one of the things that um, I've actually asked my, my therapist about 
just like hypothetically speaking, let's say this dog was a child, right? What would you do with this dog? And we've had long conversations about how like you, you have to meet the child or the dog developmentally, developmentally where they are in that specific thing. So even if the person is 18 years old, but they're missing this thing that ha- was supposed to happen when they were eight, you got to treat them like they're an eight-year-old for that one specific thing that they're struggling with. And it's, a, it's the same is true of dogs. Like B-Town is basically like, I don't, I think he was a flea market puppy. And um, I think that maybe he didn't have either, I think he had a decent litter, but I don't think the people who raised him did all the touch desensitization properly. They probably flooded him too much. And then he learned to bite hard and fast and make things go away as quickly as possible. So what have I essentially done over the years? Go very slowly, go at his pace, let him let me know when he's comfortable doing something, listen to him when he's not comfortable. And now like, the other day, Lee was like, I'm so glad you bought him, which is hilarious because he was 100% free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, he was like, I'm so glad you bought him because like, look at what we can do now and like, look at the amazing life that he has now. Like Lee was like touching his face and petting him. And I've been literally petting him from the top of his head down to his butt, like multiple times a day, every day for months now. And like, you just, you have to go slow. So basically if your dog is fucked up, take Nelson's class, see if you can identify what step was missing. And uh, yeah, you should, uh, you should try to, you know, I did uh, actually talk to Nelson about Phoebe a little bit real quick. Um, If you've been following this podcast, I've talked about a couple of times how Phoebe has this fear of dead stuff, uh, which made raw feeding, really difficult and impossible actually. And it makes giving her like enjoyable treats to chew really mm. difficult. Uh, Not cause she enjoyable. doesn't like them, um, at all. And I've tried waiting her out. She will fucking, it's bad. Uh, I'm totally willing to talk to anybody about it. Um, anyway, but Nelson speculated that, I mean, I got her at seven weeks from a cattle farmer. Um, that had border collies that bred. So it's not like it was a good breeder. And uh, she mentioned when I was picking up the puppy that the dad dog uh, had killed a bunch of chickens recently and Mm. was in a lot of trouble for it. And so I told all that to Nelson and he's like, yeah, I think something definitely happened to her when she was five, six weeks old. Uh, Don't know what, but let's talk about it and develop a plan to help her get over that. So we're going to, we're going to try to work on that once I finish this other thing that I'm working on Phoebe. Um, So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Maybe I'll do updates on that. Mm. So yeah, my little tidbit about Phoebe. Fascinating. I'm curious to see um, what you end up doing with it because like you've tried to go slow, but there's, it's kind of like, and we have made little bits of progress. There are things she will eat now, but there's a lot of things still that she's like, "Mm, no, thank you. Um, and like you saw her on that hike when we got Mm -hmm. around where the buzzards were and like, we could smell dead stuff. So the smell for her was overwhelming. And like you guys, I had to, I had to keep her on a leash. Her tail was tucked. She was trying to fucking dart off everywhere. She is absolutely petrified. And we're just walking on a trail. And this is a dog who's like the best at life and number one best friend for anybody. Going fast and having fun all the time. Yeah. Except when she smells something dead. It's, it's an insane fear response. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, 
thank you guys for coming on this little journey with us. We really appreciate y'all support. Um, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Um, you could email us and tell us how awesome we are at superseriousdogpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also go to our Patreon, check out those free episodes. Or if you're like, you know what? Y'all are awesome. Let's do this. You can subscribe. Sign up. There. Sign up. Sign right up. Sign so, up. Um, yeah, we love you guys. We really appreciate y'all. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. Bye.